All right. Well, thank you for letting us try some things this morning. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a unique day. Uh, it's unique weather outside. I Honestly, they say that it's the coldest it's been since like, 1989. I don't remember that. I was, not, I was old, but not that old then. And I don't remember that. So thank you for letting us do that. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you for joining us online um, and staying safe. And uh, I'm really excited about what God has in store for us today. Um, and, uh, and I want to start, uh, you know, one of the time-honored traditions in human history is the art of a good argument. You know, we like to argue, but I think the word argument is probably too strong a word. So let's use the word debate. Uh, everyone loves a good debate, a chance to display our knowledge and to try and one-up the competition, a chance to, to share what we've learned and see what other people have learned and challenge people's thinking and, and basically to prove that we're right. And um, some of us are, are not very good at it. Some of us, we get into an argument so confident that we're going to win and we lose every time. And others of us are really, really, really good at it. So good at it that we have a name for that. We call those people that are really, really, really good at debate and arguments, we call them lawyers. And they make a good living out of that. And so uh, the idea of debating, these lawyers, they're experts in the law. And the idea of debating goes back many centuries. And, and, and if we look at scripture, we see this. We see the Apostle Paul debates the Greek scholars at Mars Hill. And then we see it. Throughout the history of governments, we see parliaments and we see senates, and they're debating all the time. Every election cycle has its course of debates throughout the elections, and we tune in and we watch them, and we get aggravated, and 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 but we learn about the candidate that way. It even trickles down to the religious world. I can't tell you how many times I sat in seminary class and listened to debates that bogged down the class. It would be students who wanted to show their knowledge, their, their, pre, their, their knowledge that they had before they came into class. They wanted to prove themselves to the professors, and they wanted to show what they knew and, and, and challenge the professor's thinking on things. And, and so often they would come in so bold and boisterous, and then the professor would just squash them because they weren't even uh, uh, on the right page. Let's go back to the term lawyer. Um, we all have preconceived notions about lawyers today. For, for many of us, uh, we have, we've had good experiences with lawyers, and so, so we have a good idea of what a lawyer is. Others, we, we have not so good experiences, or we, we look at lawyers that are characterized on TV as ambulance chasers and just after your money. And, uh, and so, so we have good and bad preconceived notions about lawyers. But back in Jesus' day, there were lawyers as well. And these lawyers, these were men that ran with the Pharisees, and, and, and they were experts in the Old Testament law. That's where the term lawyer comes from, is they were experts in the law. And so, oftentimes, these men, who were very, very smart, very educated, they knew the Old Testament law backwards, forwards, frontwards, and sideways. They were very prideful men because of that. And because they were prideful, and they were full of, of this brash arrogance, and this, this, this just brimming with knowledge, they would go and they would love a good debate. And they would debate so that they could show off their knowledge. And, and, and show off their knowledge of the law in particular and how it should be followed letter by letter, word for word. And so anytime they had a chance to do this, they would do it. 
So in this context is where we're going to find the parable that we're going to look at today. And what I want to stop here for a second and say this. I was going to preach this sermon in two weeks. Pastor Eddie was going to preach today, and, uh, and we're going to adjust the schedule a little bit. But as I started to dig into this sermon that I was preparing to preach in two weeks, I was actually going to look at two parables. But as, as the situation that's happening in the world, in, in, in our community around us and in the state of Texas, I narrowed in on this one particular parable that I had already planned to preach in two weeks that I really feel like God has prepped us for today. And we find it in Luke chapter 10. Um, and, and what we see here is that this lawyer, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, Jesus has been teaching. And a lawyer stands up with a question. And he stands up and he wants to put Jesus to the test. He wants to show Jesus his knowledge and he wants to question Jesus' knowledge and put him to the test. And so he stands up and he asks a simple question. It's a question many of us have asked in our life. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Very simple, very straightforward. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And what we see here in the following passage, the following text, the following scriptures, is we see Jesus engage him to take the knowledge that the man already has and take it up a notch. He takes it from here and goes to here. And he challenges everything that this man in this crowd knows. So let's look at what it says in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 27. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, What is written in the law? He asks him a question. He says, what, what do you know is written in the law? How do you read it? He's asking this lawyer to explain his view on what the, what the law says. The lawyer answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You've heard me say, and you'll hear me say a lot, love God, love people. This lawyer knew that phrase. He knew that passage. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answers him. He says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. So we've got a very straightforward conversation that takes place there. Guy asks a question. Jesus says, well, what do you know? Tell me what you already know about it. And the, the lawyer answers, and Jesus says, you're right. But the lawyer can't stop there, because remember, he loves a good debate. He's ready to, ready to go to battle anytime. So, so he steps up, and he says, he's like, I'm going to challenge. I'm going to push it just a little bit further. And I'm going to challenge Jesus in what he's saying. And he asks this question. Look here in verse 29. The man, but he... Desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus has already said, you've got it right. You know exactly what you're supposed to do. And the guy's like, I need some clarification. Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus goes on and he goes into the parable that we're going to look at today. And he says this in verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Guys laying on the side of the road, beaten, broken, bruised, wounded, no money, no identification. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The priest crossed the street and went past him. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
Verse 33, Jesus changes some things. And he says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And in verse 37, the, the, the lawyer answers, he said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus ends the conversation with the response, You go and do likewise. Now, there's several things that we can pick up in this passage, but I want to point out something very quickly here. Because there's a big group of people in this setting. Um, many of them, uh, uh, you know, the, the disciples are there. There's, there's, there's Pharisees, there's lawyers, there's scholars. Religious people are, are there. Jewish religious leaders that know the law. And, and, and when Jesus uses the Samaritan in this, this is a big deal because Samaritans are not, that there's an opposition that goes between the Jews and the Samaritans. And they don't like each other. And if you look in Luke chapter 9, and I think it's very interesting that right here Jesus uses a Samaritan example, because in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out some people ahead of him to go to a Samaritan village and to talk to, 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 to talk them into receiving Jesus, and the Samaritan village rejects him. So not only do the Jews and Samaritans always already have obstacles between them. Now you've got an entire village of Samaritan people rejecting Jesus purely on the fact that Scripture says that his eyes were focused towards Jerusalem, which means they knew he was Jewish, and they didn't want anything to do with him. And so this is, this the, all the people that are in this crowd at this moment know that this happened. And so Jesus is using this, and it, it just further illustrates the point in my mind. So, I think it's safe to say that we've all heard this story at some point in our lives, or we've heard a story very similar to it that has the same kind of connotations in it. And if you're like me, whenever I hear this story, I've asked for a very long time the same question that the lawyer asks. Who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to go out and help? That's, that's very simple to me. Like that, that's the question that always comes to my mind. Who is my neighbor? I'm very much like the lawyer in that respect. But... This passage is telling us something very important. It's telling us that we're asking the wrong question. Jesus tells us in this passage that it's a different question that we're supposed to ask. Because when we ask the wrong question, it leads us off the path to the correct answer. I took about four years off of full-time ministry and I taught school. I taught fifth and seventh grade science for four years. And nothing will change your world like going into a middle school five days a week and teaching 13-year-old kids. And... Um, one of the things that I had to learn was how to get them to go, if you know anything about junior high students, they want a very cut and dried, simple, easy answer. They want the quick route. And so we had to learn as teachers. They taught us, as they taught us to teach better, they taught us to ask the right questions. We weren't supposed to ask questions that were simple yes or no answers. We weren't supposed to ask questions in the age of technology that they could simply go on Google and say, what is the freezing point of water? We had to ask questions that got them to think deeper. We wanted them to dig in, have to research, and have to really think and learn. We had to ask the right questions. And in our sense here, in our journey with Christ, 
He's wanting us to look, begin to learn to ask the right questions. He's talking about it here in this passage, that we shouldn't be asking the question, who is my neighbor? We should be asking the question, am I behaving like a neighbor? We're to change it from, in, in, in a retrospect of looking at the people around us and who should I help, who can I help, who is my neighbor that qualifies into that, into am I acting like a neighbor should to everyone? The characters of this story exemplify what Jesus is saying. The priest and the Levite don't help this man. The priest and the Levite, they don't know him. They don't know where he came from. They cross the street because they believe they might become unclean if they are found associating with him. They have all these things going through their mind. They don't consider him to be a neighbor because they don't know who he is. He's a stranger. He's a stranger to them. He would be a stranger to me on the street. And so they, 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 they go out of their way. Not only do they just walk past him, they go out of their way to cross the street to get as far away from him as they can because maybe if they cross the street, have you ever done this? If, if you see somebody you want to avoid at the grocery store or, or somewhere else, you like turn and go down another aisle so that hopefully they won't see you. Like they're going as far away as they can so that people, so that they might not be noticed that they were anywhere close to this man. Because then if they're questionable, this guy was lying beaten and broken on the side of the street and you didn't help him, they can say, oh, I didn't see him. I was, I was on the other side of the street and I didn't even notice him there. They are building in an excuse there. They, 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 they don't consider him to be a neighbor. And I know for me in my life, I act this way a lot of times. If there's, there's, been, there's been times in my life that if I had a, a difficult time with somebody, even if I know them and I run into them, I try to avoid them because I, I don't want to deal with that conflict. And, and especially if it's somebody that doesn't, doesn't look like me, act like me, run in the same circles as me, um, we don't fit together. I will, I will purposefully find myself turning away so that I don't help. And then I'm convicted. Why did you not do that? If we don't know these people or they're not part of our circle, it's easier to not help them than it is to help them. And Jesus is saying um, that we have to change our mindset. We end up tricking ourselves by saying it's not safe. They're going to take advantage of me. They're just putting on a front to get what they really want. Another illustration of this is if you've ever been driving down the road and you pull up at a red light the next to the highway and there's somebody there with a sign saying, out of work, four kids, anything helps. And immediately, if you're like me, your brain is like, oh, they're going to take my money and then they're going to go around the corner and get into their nice Lexus or their nice Tesla that they bought off the money that people give them. We judge them right off the bat our first experience, our first impression, we judge them, and then we don't help them. But what, what Jesus is saying is it doesn't matter what we do there. To be a neighbor means that we help them no matter what. He'll deal with the consequences of their actions if they're impure. But if we see somebody that is in need or has, a, has expressed a need, it's our duty as believers, our duties as followers of Christ that, that, that are living out the life that he lives to help them. So we've got to change our thought process. We've got to change the questions that we're asking. We've got to begin to think outwardly, more proactively of, am I doing my part? Am I helping? Am I being a neighbor? Am I behaving like a neighbor? 
The second thing that we do that we see too often is we let our, our brains outthink our hearts. We let our knowledge overcome our, our heart. Because it's not always heart knowledge, or it's not only always new knowledge that we need, oftentimes we need a fresh heart. It isn't about our knowledge, it's about our heart. Because think about this. How many times have you acted, we'll call it an impulse response, to something that's placed on your heart? And how many times have you said internally, wait a second, I need to think through all the ramifications of what I'm about to do. And then you start going through the list and your checklist of, well, I shouldn't do this because of this, and this is going to happen if I do this, and somebody's going to say this, and then we talk ourselves out of it. But if we'd just gone with our heart, we would have solved the need. If you look at the passage again, you see the Levite and the priest, in their minds, they're thinking through all the possible repercussions of what they're going to experience. They let their mind overcome their heart. The Samaritan, he comes and he helps regardless. He just sees somebody in need and responds. He acts quickly. When we act from our hearts, we are quick to be neighborly. We don't have time to think, we just react. We see a need and we help it. We see a problem and we solve it. We don't think through the after effects. When we act from our minds, oftentimes we talk ourselves out of helping others. Now, I was thinking through, what does this look like? How can we, how can we remember this? And, and, and I, came up, I, I just remember a movie that came out a few years ago called Hacksaw Ridge. Many of you have probably seen it. If you haven't seen it, uh, it's, it's, a movie, it's a World War II movie. I love World War II history. Um, I discovered that I'm old this week when I saw a post on Facebook that said when you hit 35, you either become a World War II buff or you like to cook barbecue. And I like to do both, which just accelerates my age. Um, but, but I love World War II history movies, and, and Hacksaw Ridge is about that. It's about the Battle of Okinawa, and, and a, a guy named Desmond Doss. And, and if you know anything about Desmond Doss, he was deeply, valley religious. He's a conscientious objector to carrying a weapon, because weapons wound people and, and kill people, and he could not consciously do that with his religious beliefs. Went through all sorts of uh, trouble trouble and trial in, in the army. Uh, he was court-martialed. His, his platoon mates were uh, very, very mean to him. They, they bullied him. They, they antagonized him, made fun of him, treated him with disrespect. So much so that any other person would have quit and left. And he stayed through it. He fought through it. And they go to, they go to the Battle of Okinawa and they climb up on Hacksaw Ridge and they get up there and they just begin to be annihilated. The Japanese soldiers are just mowing right through them, tearing them to pieces. Many, many men wounded, injured, and they can't get to safety because it's a ridge. It's, it's 100, 150 feet up, and, and they can't just jump off of it to get to the medical tent. And they're lying there, wounded, broken, beaten. Desmond, no weapon, won't use a weapon, won't carry a weapon, recognizes that no matter how these people have acted to him, because he's experienced the love of Christ, he now needs to do what he can to rescue them. He needs to be a neighbor to them. He needs to save them. And so he goes, and for the next few hours, many hours, among being shot at, actually being shot, injured, he rescues 
75 men without a weapon. Soldiers, enemy soldiers all around him, and he continues to be a neighbor. These men that laughed at him, that cussed at him, that beat him, that broke him, he rescued them. He behaved like a neighbor. This Samaritan man, in the passage that Jesus is talking about, does exactly what Desmond Doss did. He acted from his heart and did something that many people would say is stupid. Desmond was a neighbor, just like the Samaritan was a neighbor. Now that's a pretty extravagant example of being a neighbor, but so often it's something very simple for us to do to be a neighbor. And we don't take advantage of the opportunity. And for many of us, that's, that's, that's the conviction right there. That, that God grabs a hold of our hearts and says, you need to do more to be a neighbor. But for some of us, um, we have to understand a point here. And, and it's a point that, that, that is a growth opportunity for us. And it's this. We cannot rightly love God or love our neighbor until we have God's love in our hearts. Because if we haven't experienced Christ's love, how can we share that with those around us? And so... We can have all the religious knowledge in the world. The priest and the Levite, they are scholars. They know the stuff. They know what they're supposed to do. The lawyer says it. Love the Lord with all your, uh, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and be strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. He knew that. But if you haven't experienced the love of God, then you can't share God's love from your heart. Romans 5.5 5 says this. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, when you experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ, when you come to know that He is the reason that we have eternal hope, when the lawyer asks Him, what must I do to inherit eternal life, we know the answer to that. For us, it's we believe that God sent Jesus, His one and only Son, to die on the cross for us. Live a perfect, blameless life so He can take those sins to the cross with Him. So that when He left this earth in death, when He died, those sins went with Him. And when He rose again three days later, that sin, that punishment of death that, was, that sin carried in the Old Testament law, when He rose again, that was broken. That was defeated. And now we could live in hope in eternity. All we have to do is believe that that happened and ask Him to become Lord of our lives. And then as we ask Him to become Lord of our lives, the Holy Spirit fills us. And we begin to live more like Him. And as we grow through this process, and really what we're looking at through this whole process of the parables is what we call discipleship. And we're going to uh, hear more about that in, in the coming weeks about what discipleship really looks like. But as we begin to, to, to grow in that discipleship and, and the Holy Spirit begins to work on us from the inside out, God's love begins to pour out of our hearts. And it becomes easier to, to react from the heart than overthinking things. But you have to experience that first. You have to know that. You have to understand that God loves you unconditionally no matter what you did and what you have done. He loves you. And your sins will be forgiven if you repent and ask for that. And from that, 
when we begin to experience God's love in us, when we begin to experience that interchanging of our heart, that renewing, that fresh heart that we've asked for, that's when we begin to realize that our neighbor is anybody who needs us. Our neighbor is anybody that we can help. It's not who lives across the street or right next door or who lives in our community. It's anybody we come across that needs help. And that help can be with material things or tangible things, but it can also be with spiritual things. The greatest thing that you can give to a neighbor is to share the love of Christ with them. But oftentimes we have to do that with our hands first and our feet first. We have to do tangible things to show them that we're different than the rest of the world. To show them that God has given us something special and we want to share that with them. And once we've done that and we've developed a relationship with them, we've developed a trust with them, then we can share the story. We can share what God has done in our lives and we can share what he can do in their lives. That's when it's impactful. And so we want to give you opportunities to do that. And we have an opportunity that's coming up. Uh, if you've been, hopefully you've watched the weather and you're prepared and you know it's coming in. You've been outside the last couple of days and know how cold it is. But we know that there's going to be people in need. Over the next couple, three days to up to a week, we know that there's going to be people in need. People are going to lose power. Their wells are going to freeze up. Their pipes are going to freeze up. They're going to lose heat. They might not have been able to make it to, to the grocery store to get food. And so we want to help them. We want to be a light in our community that helps those people. And so uh, we're going to open our fellowship hall and the rest of the, the building, if necessary. We're going to open that up at 3 o'clock this afternoon, sooner if we need to. But we're going to open that up at 3 o'clock. We're going to have soup. We're going to have coffee. We're going to have warm. As long as we have power, we'll be here. And, uh, and if you know of anybody that needs that's going to need help. If you know of anybody that needs to be notified to be proactive because once the storm hits and they can't get here, go ahead and tell them. Let them know. We're going to be here. We are here for you. Just come. No pretensions. Just come and be yourself. And we're going to feed you. We're going to love on you. And we're going to comfort you. If this is something that you're, you're part of the faith family here at First Baptist Mason and you're like, I want to be part of that, come on. We would love the help. Uh, we want to, to make people feel welcome, and we want to, to share that with them. But if they're not comfortable coming here and they want to stay here, check on the people around you. Check on your neighbors. Check on the people in your circle that might not live right next to you, but you have contact with. Make sure they have what they need. And if you can provide it, provide it. If you can't, get in touch with us here at the church, and we can contact. We can get it to where we need to be. If people need rides to get here, we will do what we can to make it. Make that happen as well. But this is an unbelievable opportunity for us to reach out to our community. Our community was broken a week ago when the courthouse um, was damaged. This is a chance for us to build a bond to our community to help and, and to fill a need that is there. So, so take advantage of that. Love for you to be a part of that and to share that um, because this is how we be the hands and feet of Jesus. So that's all the story that we have today. That's the parable, the Good Samaritan. Are you the Levite? Are you the priest? Or are you going to be the Samaritan? Are you going to think with your Are you going to act with your heart? Or are you going to think with your mind? Let's go out and be a light to our community. Let's pray. God, thank you for this message, this timely message today of how we can behave like a neighbor, how we can be a neighbor to the world around us. And I pray that you would let us have that opportunity, Lord. 
But Father, I pray for protection and safety, not just on our community, but on the entire state of Texas and the, 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 the whole part of our country that's about to be under this impact of these winter storms that are coming, Lord. I pray for protection. I pray for, for protection of our power systems so that we have electricity and we have running water and we have heat, Lord. I pray that you keep our supplies lines open so our stores can get their food and, and supplies that, that are needed for our communities to stay, um, uh, stay sustained, Lord. But Father, most importantly, I pray that during this time, as we've been through quarantine for almost a year now, and now we're looking at being locked down for a week due to the weather, Lord. I pray that you would reveal yourself to people. I pray that you would give us renewed hearts fresh hearts, fresh minds that want to change the world for you. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you do, and all that you will continue to do. It's in your precious holy name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Bless the
doing in this place. Wherever we may be, Lord, we just pray that your presence would be with us. And Lord, as uh, Brian Cruz this morning, just that we'd be good neighbors. We'd look out for one another and love one another well. Fill us a verse with your spirit. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.